Well, what we want to do this evening is something a bit different. Um, we want to um, introduce this subject of justice. And we're going to do that um, by me framing the discussion and then getting uh, Andy and Fiona up, who are former members of P's and G's and now working with different organisations to provoke us to think how we might respond as Christians. And uh, I want to tell you about this summer. Um, I don't know what your summer was like. My summer was lovely. Uh, went somewhere nice for holidays. It was good. When I came back, I went to Northern Ireland, which was also nice and summery and full of people from Northern Ireland. And uh, I was speaking at a conference, and this conference is called New Horizon. And it's a big conference. It's been going for about 30 years, and there were 3,500 people um, at this particular conference. But something happened both before the conference and then also during the first couple of days of the conference. So before the conference, I was writing to the organizers, emailing them, saying, tell me a bit about New Horizon. And they were saying, well, it's quite hard to describe New Horizon. Three and a half thousand people come together. There's a big children's work. There's a big youth work. People come back to uh, Coleraine, back to Port Rush, back to Port Stewart. Beautiful part of the world. And it is. It's absolutely stunning. And they come back and we worship together. But we don't charge for it. We just um, have an offering in the morning and an offering in the evening. And, and that's it. And somehow it just sort of washes its face and we make ends meet. And it's existed for 30 years. And I said, well, okay, that's great, but, but, you know, what happens in it? Now, the question I was really asking is, what type of conference is this? Where, where can I pigeonhole New Horizon? Is it like Keswick? Or is it like New Wine? Or is it like Soul Survivor? Or is it like Clan Gathering? Or is it like Spring Harvest? Or, or wherever it, you know, where on the spectrum does it fall? And they kept on saying to me, well, we don't know, really. New Horizon's New Horizon. It just is, and it just exists, and it goes on, and we don't know. And that became clear when I spoke each night that it was just New Horizon, and they hadn't got a clue what they were doing, and neither did I. And that was fine. But what it revealed to me, in myself, and I think this is also true of a lot of Christians, evangelical Christians, in Scotland, in the United Kingdom, in the 21st century, is that we're in danger of what one person has called tribalism. That as evangelicals have become in some ways smaller, but in other ways stronger, and as evangelical churches across the UK have become stronger, and some of us have become bigger, something has started to happen. Forty years ago, evangelicals could not afford to fall out with each other. Whether they were in the Church of Scotland, whether they were in the Church of England, whether they were in the Episcopal Church, whether they were in the Vineyard Church, whether they were in New Frontiers, they really couldn't afford to fall out with each other because there weren't enough of us to fall out with each other. We met together in a phone box outside Perth. That was the sort of feel. It was us against everybody else. But as evangelical Christianity has got stronger, not always in a good way in the UK, something has started to happen tribalism has started to occur. I was at a meeting of the Evangelical Alliance in Scotland about 10 days ago, and the person who leads the Evangelical Alliance in Scotland was reflecting on this and saying that as he went round Scotland to different conferences over the summer, what struck him was that people were increasingly just going to their conference. And they were going to hear speakers that would say things that they agreed with. 
They would recommend books that they agreed with. And if you look at the Christian year as a whole, you'll see that happening. And so one of the big divides is between people that go to so-called gospel churches and other people who might go to sort of word and spirit charismatic churches. Now, I used to work for an organization that would describe itself as a gospel organization. Some of the people who lead these churches are friends of mine. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. We would tend more towards the sort of charismatic end of the spectrum. But what's happening is that people are starting to define each other by what you believe about certain topics. So it might be what you believe about water baptism. It might be what you believe about the work of the Holy Spirit. It might be what you believe about the role of women in leadership. It might be what you believe and what your stance is on issues around human sexuality. These are becoming sort of touchstones of whether you're okay, whether you're sound, whether you're kosher. Indeed, for some people, whether you can call yourself an evangelical, depending on what the stance that you take on a particular issue. And one of the things I've observed from this group of people that describe themselves and, and use the word gospel a lot is there's, there's something odd going on. Now, as I say, some of them are friends of mine. Some of them are, well, all of them are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of them belong to churches in this city. But when you start to describe yourself as a gospel church or a gospel coalition or a gospel partnership and start to speak about gospel opportunities... It's very easy when you're not in one of those churches to start to feel as though the people in those churches think that you don't believe the gospel or that you believe a different gospel and that somehow they have the gospel, but me, because I don't belong to that group anymore, no longer have the gospel. And the subject that we're looking at this evening is one of those pinch points. Because for some people, they are, if you like, either or Christians. Now again, because we're Episcopalian, because we're Anglican, we're both and Christians. But increasingly, at different ends of the spectrum, people are becoming either or Christians. So you're either into the Bible, or you're into the Holy Spirit. Now sadly, that is a criticism that of many charismatics is legitimate. Someone said this summer at one of the conferences, um, I think you should read um, the Bible because God has a book out and it's quite good. And the fact is that people longed for God to speak to them, but they never opened the Bible. And there's somehow becoming an emphasis that downplays the place of the Bible. That's a legitimate criticism of many charismatic movements and churches. There's a divide sometimes between evangelism and social justice. Somehow for some people, it's either or. So some people are about sharing their faith verbally. Other people are into demonstrating it with the way in which they live their lives. Now the reality is that in that case, it's a both and situation. We need both. We need verbal proclamations of what we believe as Christians, but we also need to live it out every single day of our lives. Remember many, many years ago, coming across an illustration of this where one writer described it as being like a, a pair of scissors. You need both 
evangelism and social transformation, social justice, to cut through anything. You can have one, but one without the other doesn't actually cut it. And one of the paradoxes behind the gospel movement is when you come to a passage like tonight's passage that Matt read for us a few moments ago from Luke chapter 4. Because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up and, if you like, announces the gospel. Now, in the first century world, the gospel, that word, wasn't particularly or uniquely Christian. All it meant was an announcement, good news. So the emperor would give a gospel about himself. Or there would be a gospel announcement about a particular victory in a battle or a war. Mark, Luke, John, and Matthew write gospels, accounts, announcements of the life and the ministry of Jesus. But there wasn't anything particularly uniquely Christian about the word gospel. And the irony is that when Jesus stands up and begins his public ministry, declaring what he believes God has called him to do and say, he stands up and reads this passage from Isaiah 61. Perhaps it was one of the few copies of parts of what we would call the Old Testament in that synagogue. Synagogue in uh, first century Judea, uh, once it got to 100 people, you had to start a new synagogue. So we're talking about quite a small gathering of people where Jesus takes the scroll, opens it to Isaiah, reads from what we would call Isaiah chapter 61, and says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. And having read from the scroll, he then rolls it up, gives it back to the attendant, important job, scroll attendant in the synagogue, who then would put it back in the wall. And then Jesus sat down. And when Jesus sat down, that meant, as we looked at last Sunday evening, that he had something to say. In our culture, in our society, you stand up. In Jesus' culture, if you had a sermon to give or if you had something to say, you sat down. It was a signal to everybody else. I mean business. I've got something to say. You sat down and everybody in the synagogue would look at you because you were about to teach them. And then Jesus said the most remarkable words. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, it's difficult for us 2,000 years later to realize the scandal of what Jesus had just said. Because he was claiming that the spirit of the sovereign Lord was upon him. And that God had anointed him to bind up the brokenhearted, to preach good news to the poor, to, to preach release, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And to read those words and then say, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, was tantamount to saying, I'm the Messiah. I am God. I'm the person about whom these words were written. But what's striking in this gospel announcement that Jesus makes 
is that with all the respect due to my brothers and sisters who would sit in gospel so-called churches as they describe themselves, he doesn't speak about anything that they speak about. He speaks about freedom and justice and release and the poor and the brokenhearted. He doesn't talk about sin. He certainly doesn't talk about the cross because it's obviously two or three years before the cross. And so the danger is that you end up with a gospel that wasn't actually the gospel that Jesus himself preached. And it's striking to me, at least, to realize again and again as I've reflected on what Jesus taught and what Jesus talked about, was that he talked about God's love to the crowds, but he spoke about God's judgment to the religious people. And there seems to be quite a divide in what Jesus taught. Well, what's that got to do with this evening? Well, we wanted to showcase, if you like, two organizations that we um, are right behind as, um, certainly I am and we are as a church, uh, International Justice Mission, uh, which is one of our mission partner organizations, and then the work of Just Love that works amongst students. So I'm going to ask Fiona and Andy if they'd like to join me up here. And because they've got something to say, I'm going to give them a seat each. And uh, I'm going to ask them to take a seat um, and give a microphone each. And I'll turn them on. And they are turned on. So that's good. And I'm going to sit in the middle, am I? Yeah. Oh, apparently I am. Right, okay. Um, so... As I said in my introduction, you're both, I describe you as former members of P's and G's, but that might not be completely correct in both your cases. But Andy, describe, are you a former member or a current member or an ex-member or have we kicked you out? You've kicked me out. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's great to be back in P's and G's uh, tonight. My usual service that I came to when I was part of P's and G's was the 11 o'clock, so some of you might not recognize me anyway. Um, but about three or four months ago, my wife and my little boy and myself moved down to Leith. Um, and the, the weekend that we moved into our house was the first weekend of mustard seed, uh, the church plant that's gone from here and that Jenny and Rich Cornfield leads. Um, we felt uh, very much called uh, to be part of that community and we have been for the last three or four months. So I think the letter of the law, I am still a member of P's and G's, and in fact, I'm still on vestry of P's and, uh, P's and G's as well, um, but uh, my family are, are worshipping at Mustard Seed. Okay. Um, Fiona, you've, you've been a student in Glasgow, so what's your status? Yeah, so um, I came to P's and G's, I grew up here, and then four years ago, I moved west Glasgow and did a degree in theatre studies and I graduated in June and a week and a half ago I started working for Just Love, um, an organisation that as you said works with students, kind of basically engaging them in issues of social injustice and saying to Christian students that it should be something we care about. Yeah, that's my job now. So I've okay. been doing it for like a week and a half so I'm not an expert yet. Like, yeah. A week and a half? Yep. Great, this is going to go really well. <laughs> yeah. Andy, how long have you been, have you had a proper job? Proper job. I was a student for a long time. Right. So, uh, to, to my mum and dad's great delight, uh, I've had a proper job for the past four years. 
And how, just very quickly, how did you become a Christian? So I became a Christian uh, really through a way that I guess lots of people in the room became Christians, and that was through uh, my upbringing. Uh, my mum and dad are both legends. Uh, they both love Jesus, uh, and they uh, brought me and my uh, siblings, my brother and my two sisters, uh, up in a Christian home. Um, and interestingly, this weekend was when the youth group were uh, away on their youth weekend. Uh, it was on a youth weekend in Glasgow, actually, at Queen's Park Baptist, uh, that uh, I first kind of made that public declaration uh, of my faith in Jesus. Uh, since then, uh, as with all of us, there's ups and downs along the way. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where it started. Fiona, what about you? I mean, obviously you went to a fantastic church as you grew up with an amazing, what did you call me? Boss vicar before. Um, how, how, did you, how did you become a Christian? How did Christian faith grow? Yeah, so um, I think... I also grew up um, in a home with parents who really demonstrated their faith, um, but I think I, I would say there was two significant moments in my kind of walk um, towards Jesus. The first one was when I went to Frenzy, if anyone remembers that, back oh. in the day. Uh, I know, back in the day, um, which was a big worship festival, and there was just a, a kind of call made one time when I was about 14, which was basically in a Hillsong set, and they were like, if you want to give your life to Jesus, like, go over to the side. So I was like, sure, I'll do that. Um, but I just didn't tell anyone. I was like, I'm a bit scared of like this. But then, so that, I think that was a defining moment. But I think um, quite recently, I was just really like, I think sometimes like Jesus just reveals himself again and again and in a really fresh way. And that was kind of recently actually in P's and G's. Um, Easter, sir, like a Good Friday service. So I, I should look surprised. I know, I? I know. We've not of discussed course. this, you know. Yeah. Um, it was kind of two years ago, I went to the, came to the Good Friday service and I sat at the back just over there and I was just struck by who Jesus was and I just wept. Um, to myself um, during mm. a kind of really just silent moment and but again I think there's ups and downs and I think I'm living um, in a life where I'm just discovering what faith really means at a new stage as well having graduated uni what does it mean to be like really trying to follow Jesus and kind of being a, a, a person who's in the way of Jesus as well like following in his way rather than like my way so that's something I'm figuring out so it's not a done deal yeah okay um and we're thinking about this, this theme of justice. You work for Just Love. You work for International Justice Mission. Um, how did the theme of justice become important to you? When, when did sort of a light bulb, was there a light bulb moment or was it a growing sort of feeling where you thought, ah, this, this is quite important? So I, I think there was a light bulb moment for me. Um, but when that light bulb moment came, I kind of looked back of my life and saw different bits that God was teaching me along the way. Uh, so again, kind of tying into what I was saying before about my mum and dad, um, my mum was the type of person in church who always organises all the social action things, the hustings meetings, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think looking back, although I maybe didn't realise it at the time, um, she in particular and my dad uh, had a lot to, to tell me about justice and about right and wrong and how it connects into our, our faith as Christians. And I think the actual light bulb moment uh, for me came uh, when I was at Bible college, actually. Um, I had the privilege of having two years, uh, this was one of many years as a student, as I said already. Um, I had two years at Belfast Bible College um, which was a, a wonderful opportunity just to 
look at God's words. I didn't know what I was doing there. Uh, I just had some space to, to, look, at, to look at God's words. Um, and really, looking at God's words, this whole area of justice and this whole aspect of God's character and his passion really stood out for me. Uh, and it was something that, truth be told, had not been particularly uh, prominent uh, in the churches that I had been involved in uh, growing up or when I was at university doing my undergraduate degree. Uh, and it was a real light bulb moment because it's so blatant in the Bible. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that was, that was it for me. You obviously went to a much better church than Andy um, when you were growing up. I mean, was, was there a moment for you um, when sort of a penny dropped yeah, I think I have a similar story to Andy. Um, so I went to university in Glasgow, and um, I think there was kind of a lot of little seeds that I can now see that were sown um, kind of over the first sort of two years of me being there. But there was just... So I studied theatre, and um, I read a play that was about um, homelessness in New York. And I just can't explain it, but the pages came alive. And I all of a sudden started seeing homeless people on the street in Glasgow. And they'd always been there, but I'd just never seen them. And I kind of all of a sudden just was seeing so much injustice in our world. The refugee crisis was happening. And I just couldn't, like, I just almost like once you've seen something, you can't unsee it. And that was what, like a light bulb moment for me. Um, and kind of that happened. And then about three months later, Just Love, um, which the organization I'm now working for, they set up in Glasgow amongst my friends. And I went to their launch event. And I was just really struck by the fact that like, it was really biblical to be caring about um, people on the margins. Um, it was really a biblical thing to care about those who are poor, to care about the brokenhearted. It was really biblical to actually be wanting to pursue God's kingdom on this earth. Like, it was a really, Jesus was living a life that he cared about the here and now as well as the not yet. And that was a real moment for me to actually understand that this is like God's heart for this world is to see justice rule over everything. Um, so I would say there were seeds, but there's just like sometimes there's just moments, um, yeah, where that kind of happened for me. So what, what would you, I mean, you said a bit, but what would you say to, to a Christian who says, well, we're, we're not really be, to be concerned for this world and justice is a, is a distraction um, from what we're called to, to be and do as Christians? How would, how would you respond to that? I think I would say that like, I want to define myself by who I follow and if I'm following Jesus, like, like let's just look at what the Bible says and look at who he is and what he, um, how he lived. Um, he hung out with people that no one else wanted to hang out with. He fed people when they were hungry. He healed people when they were sick. I can't believe in a Jesus who wouldn't care about the, fact, the people on the earth that he was interacting with in a day-to-day. -day. Um, that's what I'd say, but I'd also say that like, justice is something that like, maybe it takes a time to get there about, and the issues that I care about might be different to the issues of justice that you might care about. I don't think there's a blanket. We should all be caring about the same issue because there's too many issues for us to like all get behind. I think that some people, some people, human trafficking is really, really important to them. But for other people, it might be the fact that there's like people in our city who are really lonely and in need of a friend. I think that's a justice issue. Jesus was relational, and um, I think that that's exactly what um, I want to be like. I want to be like Jesus and um, really caring about the people I see around me. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, yeah, but like, no. that's what I would say. Andy, I mean, you, you told a story, amazing stories this morning about when you went to India. Mm. 
I mean, having seen some of the things that you've seen, and we live in a world which is, which is full of injustice and where we hear horrendous stories, but it's, I mean, it isn't just in India. I mean, was it last week? There was a story of people who are being kept as slaves and bonded labor in, in Scotland. I mean, how do you respond to that? Is there a particular issue that you're passionate about, like human trafficking, or, or you just, do you feel overwhelmed at times? Yeah, um, I feel overwhelmed uh, at times by the, the scale of the problem uh, of injustice in our world. Um, just this past week, uh, I didn't really plan to say this, but I will. Um, just this past week, uh, I was pretty overwhelmed by the scale of work that I needed to do. Um, and in the, middle of, uh, in the middle of this busyness, me preparing for various things, uh, I got a phone call from a friend uh, who lives in Stornoway. Uh, and that friend uh, works in a legal advice clinic in Stornoway. And she said, I've had some clients that have come in who I think are victims of human trafficking. What can I do? Um, and, and for me, that really hit home the issue uh, in a big way. Uh, the whole issue of human trafficking is something that I am passionate to see an end uh, of. I'm passionate to see an end of slavery in our world. Uh, over 45 million people in our world live in slavery. Tens of thousands of people in the UK live in slavery. In somewhere like India, over 18 million people live in slavery. Uh, I am passionate to see an end to that. And tying into your previous question, um, I think if the body of Christ is not engaging in that issue, there is something majorly wrong. Um, and, and my experience um, as a student, um, there was a lot of intellectual chat about how on earth can we believe in a God uh, in, a, in a hurting and a broken world. And there was like intellectual uh, discussion and reason and all that sort of stuff, which has its place. But there wasn't much chat about actually, okay, let's look at the, the body of Christ around the world that's doing something to address this. So it, it gives the Christian faith a lot of credibility, actually, in the eyes of people who don't believe uh, if you're involved in that work. And yeah, my, my passion is to see an end to slavery. So what, a final question for each of you. What, what would you say to folk tonight who are thinking, it all just seems too big, it all just seems overwhelming. What can we do? How can each of us respond? Andy. As it's a final question, I'll say a few ways <laughs> that you can respond. Um, I, I had an interesting conversation uh, after the morning service today. Uh, someone came up to me and said they are passionate about music and about the arts. What on earth can they do uh, to come alongside this issue? Um, and I firmly believe that all of us have unique things that we can bring to the table in the fight against injustice in this world. Whether it's someone who has a guitar around them, whether it's someone who is in a corporate law firm, uh, whether it is a student who's a fresher at university, we all have things that we can bring. And there's a really uh, amazing part of scripture um, which you can pull so many bits out of, but the, uh, the Exodus story where God meets Moses in the burning bush. Um, Moses is called to do something. Uh, he feels he's completely inadequate, and he's like, I, I'm not the right person for this job. I can't do it. 
Uh, and you read that encounter in chapter three, it goes into chapter four. Um, and he's still kicking off about it. And at this point, he's been a shepherd on a hill for 40 years, and he's 80 years old. And he says, you know, how will they know that it is God that has sent me to free the Israelites from slavery? And God says, what's in your hand? And what was in his hand was a staff, representing his identity, his income, that was his job. And God asked him to lay that staff on the ground. And the staff became a snake. Uh, God breathed life into an inanimate, inanimate, can't say that word, object. And then Moses picked it up again and it became his staff. The rest of that Exodus story, we see how influential the staff was in seeing thousands of people rescued from slavery. So I think what I would say, um, I won't say the other things, but what I will say is recognize what is in your hands. What are the things that you can bring into this fight? Each one of you has different things. One more thing, sorry. On, on that, there are three members of this church that are doing the most amazing thing next weekend, one of whom is Ewan McRory sitting there. Do, is Duncan Hughes or Paul no. Arthurson in Paul's the room? Paul's at the back. Paul's at the back. Um, we are doing a sponsored cycle. Uh, next uh, weekend of the Hebridean Way, 185 whoa, miles. Whoa, 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 Tiger. When you say we are doing... Oh, sorry. They are doing... What, what are you doing, Andy? I'm, I'm probably going to be bird-watching with my dad. <laughs> uh, no, I am, I am support man. I am logistics. But anyway, it's an example uh, that people are giving of their time, giving of their energy for something that is greater, and I would encourage you to support them financially by sponsoring them. Great. What would you say? What would I say? I think um, I, I would really agree with thinking about what's in your hand. Um, I was really struck by that recently. I was just hearing about that last week um, at our like, annual student training in London. This idea that actually, like, sometimes we're just waiting. In, in a few years, when I have this, I'll then start. Start now. What do you have now? So what does it mean? What, how much money do you have? Can you, give, can you start thinking about what you could do financially to maybe donate to something like IJM, where they're actually doing really on-the-ground work, but you maybe don't, want to ha- don't have the time to like, or resources to get involved in any other way. But thinking about like, the issues as well that you care about. So like, you don't have to care about the same issues. That's sometimes the, th- the burning passion. Someone has a burning passion for like, working with those who are on the streets. And you're like, oh, I kind of care about that, but I care more about the environment that's okay, like define your issue and figure out a path from there. Um, And I think as well, like don't be afraid to um, really ask God like where he's leading you, Um, praying into that, praying into something like justice. It can be a really big thing, really scary thing to think about what injustice is doing in this world. But actually like God is, if we believe in God as being like this just so big he can handle everything so it's about maybe giving over all these things that we feel that God has placed within us and saying here is this issue that I kind of care about and he will lead us into kind of where we can go with that and if you're a student get involved in Just Love yeah Uh, on that is there a Just Love group in Edinburgh not yet not yet. Um, so I'm the first staff worker they've ever had in Scotland. So there's two groups, one in St Andrews, one in Glasgow. And um, I really would love to see more groups growing in Scotland because I think that students are amazing. They have so much energy to give and so much time and so much passion as well. Um, and so if you would like to speak to me afterwards, 
I'll also be at the back. Um, and if you, even if you're not a student and still want to hear about what Just Love is doing um, across the UK, please come and chat to me. But yeah, don't be afraid to define your issue, to see what, you ha what God has put in your hands, and to just like start now rather than wait for a wee while. <laughs>